talk about some of the strategies with that. A little bit of background on me. Um, this was me when I was a first grade teacher. I'm right there, if you can see me, in that giant photo. And the crazy thing about this photo is this is the 21st century, 2001, when I was teaching this class in first grade. And these kids are now 20 years old. They're, soft, they're juniors in college. But that was the 21st century back then, and technology looked so much different in my classroom that nothing went home. The kids didn't have devices. And so school and home were very much separated by a fine line. And now it's shifted quite a bit. We started this event um, as a result of this kind of impact of mobile device learning. So iPad Palooza started in 2012 as a way for us to get together as educators, much like Miami Device, and share our best stories, best practices. Last year, the theme was Keep iPads Weird. So we had lots of strange people dressed up in very odd costumes. Um, this year's theme is a little bit different. Um, we're playing on some other marketing scheme that's going on at the moment you may have heard of called Star Wars. Um, yes. Um, so, again, this, this line between home and school is kind of blurred, so we're going to talk a little bit about what that looks like. But first, let me ask the room. What are some signs of a 21st century family? 
I'll turn this off because it's a little distracting. What are some what, what do you think, when you go out in the, the world, not just school, when you go out in public, what do you see? What, what's different now in the 21st century that wasn't taking place in the 20th century? Heads in the screen. Heads in the screen? What else? Phone in every hand. Phone in every hand. Yeah. And age? Doesn't seem to matter. Yeah. I don't know about y'all, but in my school, it's like sixth graders, it's like, oh, sixth graders getting iPhones, and then I go and see fourth graders, and then third graders, and now first grader. My daughter's in first grade, I'm like, you need to get an iPhone, sorry. Maybe when you're sixth grader. So it's interesting, you're right, phones in the hand, they're kind of used to that. that you know, Adam talked about it a lot today, kind of that you know, the funny joke about if you're missing my phone, it's been stolen. Um, I see a lot of this when you go to restaurants. Now, not all of us can be like Beethoven here, who's teaching his kid how to play piano in the restaurant, um, which is great, right? Creation and learning music. So it does change. But this is part of it. I used to be a person before I had three little tiny kids that would judge these parents and be like, now, why can't you just put that screen away? I'm like, thinking, you know what, now? I want to have a adult conversation with my wife, so... Here's Netflix. Just deal with it. So for a few minutes, I don't think it's that big a deal, but if you, this is just like everyday parenting, it's a little bit tricky. I got this photo called 21st Century Parent, uh, 21st Century Tan Lines. Oh my God. <laughs> Which tomorrow when we go to my, on Saturday when we go out to the beach in Miami, we're going to see a lot of these, I'm hoping. Um, and I'll sometimes see, um, I'll see these clever things going around called This is 21st Century Parenting. You know, where you actually, and I've, had, I've actually shared this with my own parents in the district, and they're like, that's great, but we're too techy to figure out how to change the Wi-Fi password. I was like, you know what you can do? That Wi-Fi thing has a little plug in it, you can just go kick the plug out, and when you want the Wi-Fi, you plug it back in. Oh, I didn't think about that. And I've actually had parents go and take the plug from the Wi-Fi and then replug it back in when they're, when they're done doing their chores. Now, good or bad, some of these are funny, and some of these are like, well, that's not a bad idea. I would probably do that with my kids. So we're going to talk about some of those ideas today. Um... So I also ask, let's see, how are parents doing in terms of modeling this new dynamic? Because it's new to us, too, right? Our kids are kind of growing up with it. This phone, you know, was invented after my daughter was invented. Actually, before she was I don't say invented. That's a bad word. <laughs> don't tell Renee I said that. <laughs> it was more of a process with her invention, let's say. But um, So she was, she, my oldest daughter is 2008, this came out in 2007. And, you know, this thing has always been a part of her life. And it's kind of new and disruptive to all of us, too. So I see some... So four examples of parents kind of modeling this. Here's a few examples. Here's my own uh, dad who, you know, just got the ability to text message about three or four years ago. This is one of the first texts he sent me. <laughs> Doesn't really do me any good, Dad. Thanks for that. And then my mom sent me this one, which is, I don't, you know, what does IDKLY and TTYL mean? It's, I don't know. Love you. Talk to you later. Okay, I'll go ask your sister. <laughs> Doesn't, she doesn't quite get it. And then, Buzz, and then BuzzFeed, of course, is, is taken off to the two. So there's really this other generation that's learning this along with our kids. Like, my parents are learning this, and they're actually worse than teenagers. Because of them, I had a 1,500 text message limit, and I had to increase it because they were just killing my wallet. They would always respond with this one-letter reply. What is it? K. K. That's potassium. That's not an answer. That's what I would tell them. But they're really, they literally just 10 minutes ago, it was like, K. I was like, stop it. You guys are worse than teenagers. Speaking of which, here's this funny video from BuzzFeed. Have you guys seen this? There's a clip of it. So it's just hilarious, all the things they do in these. I love the BuzzFeed videos. But in some ways, I, I, I show this to, to parents in my own community to say, now what are we doing to model this for our own kids? Because they come to me and say, Carl, they've got these devices, and, and they're just terrible. And, I, and as I'm talking to them, their devices start coming out, and they start nodding and looking down at their devices and sort of half paying attention. I said, well, how are you modeling this for your own kids? That's the first place to start. And then I always ask this, how much different are kids these days versus when I was in high school? Um, and so I was in high school about six years ago. Thank you. Oh, you're so sweet. You didn't laugh right away. It was a little longer than that. I graduated in '93, um, but I, 
um, sometime in the last year, as I was talking to high school students around the school district, I was like, I realized I have no idea what your life is like now compared to what my life was like in high school. And so I did this challenge, which I've asked a lot of other administrators and leaders and teachers to do, where I dressed up as a student for a day and I went to high school. Um, and so here's a, what I looked like that day as I walked into Westlake High School. It was really weird. It was like the one day in Westlake, the one day in Austin when it was like 20 degrees outside. And so I walked around and said, what were all the other kids wearing? And they all had hoodies with shorts on them because they're stupid boys. That's what they wear. Um, sadly, not a single kid thought I was a real student. Um, in fact, I think they thought it was like a narc or something. <laughs> 21 Jump Street, watch out. And I followed this sophomore schedule. And so it was interesting, when I sent the email to the teachers, it was two days before, I said, guys, I'm coming to your class as a student. I'm not observing you, I'm observing the kids. I want to see what they're doing. Um, and it was funny, because this, the English teacher, this was in December, and he sends, to, he sends me this list. He goes, okay, well, if you're a student, we're on chapter 17 of Catcher in the Rye, you need to catch up, because we're doing a project tomorrow. <laughs> So that night, I read 17 chapters of Catcher in the Rye to catch up to do my homework. Um, I failed chemistry. Uh, I had a chemistry quiz. I didn't know what Bohr's Law was. I forgot it. It's 6.02 times 10 to the 23rd. The last time I remember using that was when I was in chemistry as a sophomore a long time ago. Um, and the other thing I noticed was, with the kids, is this schedule is very tight. I mean, there's never any time to reflect. So they're going class to class to class. I was late, and, and if those of you who have been to Westlake High School before, it's a giant building. It's like a mini college campus. And so I was late to class three or four times. By the end of the day, I'll admit it. I don't play a lot of video games, but I just wanted to go home and bed down and play video games all day. Like, I just feel like I'm done. But the other interesting thing was the kids were using this gap time, these six minutes. That was their social time. Because they're almost, even though we have one on devices, we're doing a lot of interactive online things, very few, about half the classes did anything collaborative. Now, this is just a snapshot day. But, um, and the kids were, I, was like, I expected them to be walking around with their phones out and walking like this. No, they actually used it to talk to each other, which was actually kind of nice to see. Um, and the other thing I noticed was that these desks are torture devices, by the way. I mean, these are painful, deadly things that we should not be putting in schools. I have a whole other talk about that, but I, I look at these desks, and I, when I, after I did this, I went to the school board, and I said, you know, I started thinking, like, who has the best, most comfortable chairs in the entire school. And, well, teachers, or you could probably go higher, administrators, the school board in our district, they sit in those beautiful, rich mahogany chairs twice a month. Beautiful, these lovely, plush chairs. And so what we did right after I did this talk is we brought these desks in and we said, okay, for your next school board meeting, we want you to sit in these desks for the entire four-hour board meeting. And guess what happened right after that? They decided that we need to start getting better furniture. So it's kind of a neat little trick. Um, and then we also had to do something like this. So you guys have kind of rolly furniture. We had them, we had some students come in, and then we had the board members sit in the old desk. We said, we're going to do a collaborative activity. And here's the topic. Here's what you need to do. Go. Move. And then kids just rolled their desks right in the slot, and then the school board members were dragging their desks. And it took them about five minutes to get everything moved around. And I said, you just lost five minutes out of an already packed day, right? So just getting kids to move and shuffle is an interesting thing. That's a whole other side topic about movement. And those of you that want to come to my improv session later, we'll talk about that. But other things that I hear a lot, especially from parents in our communities, is why can't it be just like the good old days, you know? And I always tell them, you know, change happens. And I focus on lots of different things in society. But remember this beautiful, rich piece of furniture that would sit in your house and it pumped out a beautiful sound. Um, it was totally disrupted by innovation, by this. You know, and what was the sound quality like in these? Awful. I mean, it was terrible, but every teenager wanted one in the 50s. Why? Why would they want one if it sounded bad? Personal. Personal. Modal. Portable. Personalized choice. Yeah, they could do whatever they wanted. In fact, there's another big trend that happened in music. If you think about it, in the 1950s and 60s, what was it? Some of you are way too young to know this. The rock and roll, that thing that they talk about rock and roll, yeah, it happened in the 1950s and 60s. And I think if we were still sitting listening to this, our parents would have never let us listen to that music. So kids actually made the choice in a lot of ways. Um, then I go to this. How many channels were on that television in the 1950s and 60s? Three, two, four, depending where you live. Four, I got PBS. PBS is a real, right? It's a real channel. Um, you had to change the little USA, you get that thing if you You have to get up, no, no control? Yes, no, no remote control. Remote control is my dad shooting on the back of my head. Change the channel. <laughs> okay, here we go. Yeah. But think about how much this industry has been usurped too by, by change in a lot of ways. And this was an innovative company. It was an innovative company, right? I mean, that's a great picture for it. They, they hedged their bet. Blockbuster said, we're going to take the TV and music and movie, in, or not music, but movie industry and say, we're going to give you on-demand lear on learning, on-demand watching. Um, but then they stopped and they said, the internet, eh, that's not really going to happen. This Redbox thing, I don't know what that is, but it's not going to work. 
and now they're all gone. Now if you go to any town and you see these buildings that are now these giant jumpy houses where kids can jump on and play for the one thing, they're pretty much old blockbusters. Um, so all of these services, right? And I didn't even list like the number one video service in the world. What is it? YouTube, right? And the difference between YouTube and those other services is now we are creating the content. Whereas before it was always, you know, you had to kind of consume the content from other people. And all of this, of course, right in the palm of your hand. I learned my slide transition from Annabella. Um, <laughs> this is another interesting thing. So we talk about change with parents. And I showed this article from an 1889 Nature magazine. This is the magazine. And in the article, it actually talks about how the telephone is the most dangerous thing of all. We don't need it. It's new. It's totally unnecessary. Um, it's evil. Let's not even have it in our houses. It's going to destroy our lives, essentially. There's a whole long post about it. Um, and I'll just take a picture there. Okay. But I can go back in time even further than that. Um, this one's from a little bit earlier than that. If men learn this, it'll implant forgetfulness in their souls. They'll cease to exercise memory because they rely on that which is written. And this was actually 370 BC. This was Socrates. He was against the written word. He was absolutely against it. You know why we know that? Because Plato wrote it down, <laughs> which is really sad. Um, and he would. And I went back and read some of Plato's, or some of the, the Plato writings about the Socrates speeches and things that he would give. And one of the things he said was he was concerned that the youth, uh, it tells the youth of the day or something like that, the young people of the day, will be walking around with notebooks in their hands and pencils down and their noses in them like this as they walk around running into things. So he was concerned back in 370 BC that that was going to be a problem. He also said that if you outsourced that memory to a written word, that you were actually not really internalizing it. Almost like today, like if you, there's a fact that you want to know, what do you do right away? Google it. I mean, you outsource it in some ways. But, in, but you could argue that that helps in a lot of ways for us because in schools that means that we can now do more creative and more inventive things. Um, what are some things our parents didn't have to worry about that they have to worry about today? Anyway, Sexting. You went right there, Jamie. Okay, good. Yeah. I'm going to go stand over here. Oh, okay. Not between us. You just dealt with Cyberbullying. I hear that word. Internet porn. So really, all three of those things, sexting, cyberbullying, internet porn, those all existed back in our time. They just didn't have that internet angle, right? There was bullying. There was a kid. I've never told this story. It must be before. There's this kid, and he, of course, was a preacher's kid. But he showed up in my middle school, and he had in his book the, the mag, right? magazine that had a, let's just say, for recording's sake, it had a pull-out cover. And it was amazing because I was like, this is, a, this is the preacher's kid, but of course he brought it to school. That's what they do. And then sexting, that one's just, I mean, I guess you could send Polaroids to each other in the mail. I'm trying to think of what that used to be like. <laughs> Hope it didn't get caught. I don't know. I was like, I sent you a picture, send a letter, you'll see it next week. Yeah, congratulations. Oh, I'm so excited, I can't wait. Uh, yeah, so social media, I mean, I hear a lot about, um, in our district, early, it's not as much a talk anymore, but gaming was a big concern, like the, the addiction to gaming. Uh, and then uh, screen time is another one that I've heard a lot of fight about. And, and um, the American Association for P uh, Pediatrics just came out with a new screen time legislation about a week ago, about a month ago. It was research that said that it's not all as bad as they thought it was. Because they just lumped everything together. Basically, if you're taking passive screen time, like what you guys are doing right now, leaning back, kind of taking in the screen, versus interactive screen time, they didn't differentiate. Now they do. So your brain is actually better if you're actually doing something interactive versus just sitting there and absorbing and consuming. In fact, if you track your brain waves of when you're watching television versus when you're sleeping, you actually have more brain waves when you're sleeping. Especially if you're watching, like, Keeping with the Kardashians or whatever. <laughs> That's like flatline. You're like, oh, yeah. Ready to go. So social media, to me, this is what text messages were for me in school. Do you guys remember these? I could never fold those things, man. But it was there was an art to it. But if you tried to send a text message to a kid, to a friend, you flick it across the room, and every now and then the teacher would intercept it and then read it out in front of everybody. Social media. This was like this is Facebook when I was in high school. You want to post something on my wall, you go and stick a sticky note on it, and then you make sure your privacy settings are really secure. Otherwise, people can get and see all your photos, right? inside the lockers, just like Facebook. But it's changed a little bit, so I'm going to list three or four of the ones that I've been encountering that you can take back to your schools and say, these are things you need to look out for. This isn't a scare talk by any stretch, but just more of an awareness. And this is conversations that also need to be happening with, home, uh, with parents at home. I will say the advantage of doing one-to-one -one devices, it's invited me into their homes more than they ever wanted, but it's made us have the conversation. And I've actually had stories where one of our first parent nights, when we first handed them out, I had 150 parents in this audience, um, and they told me stuff 
I mean, I can't believe they would share in front of 150 other. Like one dad said, well, my son's 16 and he's got the iPad and he just goes into his room and closes the door until 2 in the morning he's on that thing. What's he doing? I was like, well, does he have a filter? No. I said, oh, he's probably just playing games. That's all he's doing, I'm sure. And unfiltered access to the internet, you know, and just having this conversation. And it's funny because other parents will turn on parents. So having this conversation is good because they look for me for help and then they can look in the audience and a parent will turn around and go, well, why are you letting him take it into his bedroom? Well, I don't want him to get mad at him. You know, those kind of conversations happen. We had to deal with um, this at Wesley High School a couple of, uh, last fall. In fact, I got on the news for this. This is one of my not so proud moments um, where they actually came and interviewed me because, you know, Yik Yak, how many of you guys know what Yik Yak is? Yeah. What is it? And I was commenting their geolocated. Oh, yeah, I kind of gave you the hint there. Yeah. yeah. But it's geolocated. So, yeah, you can pick up your phone, and anybody within a mile and a half radius, you can see them if they're on Yak at the same time. And you can be anybody you want. So, it was really, this company's actually really good. They've, they've designed this app for colleges, is what they say. So, they've actually created these geofences around every middle school and high school in the entire country where you can't use it. The problem is the geofence isn't exactly accurate. So, one day at Westlake High School, um, we noticed there was a hole in the fence where right by the parking lot, kids could go out and get on to Yip Yak. Mm-hmm. So that day, hundreds of kids forgot their homework in their car and went out to their car to check Yip Yak. And it was really interesting because it was like, the, I saw the principal was on there and I asked Dr. Carter, I said, Dr. Carter, you know you're on Yip Yak? You're inviting kids after fifth period to go smoke out underneath the, the, the stairwell in the Trade Center. It's like, what, is, what does that mean, smoke out? Really don't, oh. you know. <laughs> no, but he was like, that's, that's not me. And I was like, it's there impersonating you. And so we had to see all this, and I actually pulled the honor students in afterwards, and I said, why did you, I go, what did you think about that whole thing that happened? Because after a couple days, it all went away, but, and the, the honor students said, well, we were on it, too. And I said, why were you on it? I said, it's like, they explained to me, it's like, it's like when you're driving a car and you see a car accident on the side of the road, what do you do? You slow down a little bit and take a pee. And that's what every kid did. Most of them just did it just to see what was going on, but it turned into a really nasty way to bully other kids, because no one could tell who was posting what. Um, and the interesting thing about Yik Yak is, and this is something I'll share in a minute, is even though it says you're anonymous, are you really anonymous? Yeah. I mean, well, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. But I mean, at the University of Missouri with the protest, the, the guy was threatening other yep. students, and they found him and arrested him. Yeah, and the University of Georgia, about six months ago, had a guy who posted, uh, hey, there's a bomb that's going to go off at 1 o'clock at this library on campus. And the next day, the police showed up and knocked on his door. And how did you do Well, it's location-based. So it knows where your phone is, it knows your IP address. So I always share that with kids. Say you're never ever truly anonymous, nor is anything ever really truly temporary, right? <laughs> As we go to Snapchat. And Snapchat, this is an interesting thing. I've asked high school kids this, how many of you are on Snapchat? And like half the hands will go up. I said, now how many of you are really on Snapchat? And every hand goes up. Because every kid in high school is trying this. And it's interesting because just like Facebook before, which they now call um, mom book which is true, and Instagram, which they now call Instagram off. Um, every time there's a new social media site, we flock to it as adults, and then the kids jump somewhere else. And so Facebook, they jumped off of that, they went to Instagram. Now we're all on Instagram, guess where they all went? Here. Now guess what's happening? We're all going on Snapchat, so they're all going to jump off and go somewhere else. It's endless. But, and, it's, and I always tell parents, don't try to keep up with them, just have those conversations. That's the most important thing. You can tell, I mean, they're going to try new things all the time. There's so many messaging apps out there, it's crazy. This one's changed a little bit, though. They've actually added a bit of a news feed. They've tried to make it more, you'll actually see organizations using this now, professional organizations using Snapchat. So I think it's starting to go a little more commercial. Um, this one was run, this is an older app, but it ran rampant through our middle schools called Ask FM. And it's basically like you take a photo of somebody anonymous again, and you just say hot or not. You know, so it really hurts kids' self-esteem when they're having a kind of it's an easy so way to cyberbully. That, that was like a, a big cyberbullying one that mm-hmm. my daughter in middle school yep. was talking about that her friends were getting bullied on asking them, and she never. I said, "You're not getting up." Yeah, so it was like it's an easier way to do it, right? I mean, and having it's hard enough having three girls with the last name Booker. They're going to be middle school girls in the point in their life. Pray for them. Um, the one thing I will say is I have access to every camera in the school, so that's a good thing. I'll be able to stop them all the time. But this kind of stuff, I mean, it really worries me. And it's not, it doesn't matter what your name is either. I mean, you know this. We, we all went through middle school. It was treacherous in a lot of ways. You just try to survive. Um, and then this is the last one that just kind of, it's been around. I see some posts. I posted something about this in February, but now it's making its way around again. The fake apps, where you have the, 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 yeah, the, the hidden stuff, the ghost apps, where you can find, it looks like a regular, here, I'll show you on my phone. 
So I'll pull up my phone, there's my little daughters back there in the sand, and I pull up this calculator, and I type on it, you know, it looks, works like a regular calculator, right? Everything looks good, yep, sure, solve the problem. But if I clear it and type in a special code, in my case, one, two, three, four, percent sign, it unlocks a hidden locker that also has photos and passwords and things that you can post on the back end of it. So, so the, so a parent, you just have a calculator on your phone. Um, but, and you can say what you want about this, part of me is, Part of me thinks that if it's just a private place for them to post up, then it's like a diary. That is, that to me, you know, whatever, that's fine. It's the dangerous part is when it starts being where you can share stuff secretly. And that's where the, like Jamie said, the sexting thing starts to take off. And then all of a sudden I can hide them and send this photo to this friend. And there are parts of these apps where you can connect privately no one knows. Which app was that? That was called, uh, that's called Calculator Plus. But if you literally, if you Google search fake calculator, there's probably 12 of them now in the app store. There's wasn't, tons of them. Wasn't there just a school district that discovered like like last week, there was thousands and thousands of photos. Yeah, and it was it was featured on the Today Show, yep. which is good to let parents know. It's more awareness. Yeah. And I was thinking, parents, like, oh, how are we ever going to see all this? I was like, well, I'll show you because if you go into settings, actually, you know these phone, these apps always access the camera roll. So if you go into your settings, you could actually go to the camera and see which apps are actually accessing it. So I'll scroll down here. Um, and you'll find some stuff. You'll basically see some strange. I'll find out some apps right now because this is my phone. Um, there we go, camera. And you'll see all the things that access the camera roll. And you're like, why is a calculator, you know, why is it why is it accessing that? And even if it's off, it still will come up in the list. So, um, why is Uber? I just realized, <laughs> why do they need my camera? That's kind of creepy. Um, so this is another way to kind of see those things. But again, it's, you know, I tell parents this so they're aware of it. It always comes back to those conversations with kids. All of this does. The parenting, I call it digital parenting. The secret is, it's parenting. It's the same thing. If I put a dozen cupcakes right here on this table, and I say you can only eat one, that's called setting limits. The same thing happens with devices. I'm not going to say, here you can go, whatever you want. I think parents get intimidated by it because it's new in some ways. Um, and here's some, of course, when we talk about social media, I have to bring up the ones that are no longer with us. So here's my very sad in memoriam section here. Let's see if it pops up. Oh. Unless my MacBook just died because it's about to run out of juice. No. Oh wait, yeah, I do, let me get my plug out while that's the point. I got one. Yes, classmates.com, that was before Facebook. It would have revolutionized everything. Then you've got this next one here. Oh, delicious. Do you remember that? Social bookmarking? No? Delicious? It was great. It got usurped by something called Pinterest. <laughs> Um, this one was actually the original one. Friendster was like the thing. I remember when I got a Friendster account. It was awesome. You could connect with people. Again, gone. And then this one um, is actually technically still around, but I'll put it up here. Probably the original social media site of all time. MySpace. My anyway, that's sad. That was my sad memorial section for social media. <laughs> so again, when it comes to points, when you're talking to parents, but also students, I bring up these two points over and over again. And that is there's no such thing as temporary, and there's no such thing as truly being anonymous. Now, I, um, I can actually hack the Snapchat server in less than a minute, right? Did you guys remember that story a couple of years ago when someone, um, here, I'll do it for you right now, why not? Don't, well, you can record this if you want to. Don't say Carl's hacking stuff in class. Here, I'm gonna pull the screen over here. I'll try it on two screens. I'll show you how to do it. So, um, let me pull this over there. Is it coming over? Here, I'll mirror. That'll make, make my life easier. So, I did this for my 17-year-old um, <laughs> niece who was uh, frequently on Snapchat. And I said, you know, I can, ha I can hack all those photos and see everything you're doing. And she's like, oh, no, you can't. I was like, yes, I can. She goes, well, it disappeared. I was like, it exists somewhere on a server. Yeah. And her face started to go very white. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, Jordan, why is your face turning white? And she's like, well, some friends sent me some pictures. So I can never remember where it is exactly, but let me just do a quick search here. So I'm going to do Snapchat um, hack. And I think it was on CNN. If that's right, I'll pull this up and zoom in a little bit. And now we're gonna see if the Wi-Fi works. And if it doesn't work, that's okay. So the interesting thing about this is, is that in 2014, a gentleman said, I can hack your entire server. And if you don't fix this one big hole, I will hack it and I will publish it to the world. And so what did he do? He did, he hacked it and he published it to the world. Well, Snapchat got an injunction against them and said, close it down, shut it down. And so if you go to his site, it's gone. However, nothing on the internet is ever truly gone. So, it's probably going to be a little too slow today, but I could go back in time using something like archive.org. You guys ever used that site? Yeah. 
It's a way, way back machine where you can actually put in a website and go back in time and see what the website looked like way back when. Um, so I can use this, his account, which I think it's, it's on this article, and actually go back in time and do that. It looks like it's going to be a little too slow. But this always gets them. And when I show this, I'm, I don't show it to kids necessarily because then they're always like, well, how do I hack? And I was like, no, 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 I'm not going to show you how to hack other websites. But I'll show it to parents as just an example to say, hey, guys, if you need to tell your kids things are gone, just go to archive.org and show them nothing's truly gone forever. Um, I'll let that just kind of run. I'll try it again later if it's up and running. Woohoo! The internet's dying. There we go. And now I'm zoomed in like way too much. There we go. <laughs> so um, I get this question sometimes too about gaming. What if my kid wants to play games all the time? And I always follow it up with, oh, not all games are bad. And I think in this room, you guys are, you guys will nod your heads like, yes, we know that. But sometimes parents think <coughs> game and they think bad. They think fun and they don't associate that with school at all. In fact, they think that's a bad word to use in school even. I just got done talking to some middle school parents last week and I said, my kid's playing games. Like, what's he doing? Because we've, we've actually got a pretty strict no gaming policy. We call it a no non-instructional uh, app policy in our school, in our middle school, and it's all self-monitored. Um, but there's an exception. And the exception is if a kid designs his own game or codes or programs his own game, he can play it. And so guess what the kids are doing now? They're designing and coding their own games. Because they know they can't otherwise. And so when mom and dad comes to me and says, my kid's playing this game, I'm like, what's the game? Well, it's some game he invented. I'm like, well, let me look at it. And it's amazing. These kids are designing these amazing games. So at least they're giving themselves some right to do that, but they have to earn it in that way by designing it. Like, this is my idea of gaming, and if you wanted it to be collaborative gaming, you had to, you know, bring in the other joystick, right? <laughs> Invite your friend over and play two-player. I love that that's downstairs. I'm going to go check that out later. Um, does anyone have this app still? Oh, man, Flappy Bird. There, this came out, and they had to take it out of the app store because it was so addictive. I mean, literally, they were sending death threats to this guy because it's like, you're wasting my life. I can't do anything but play Flappy Bird all day. Um, and now, if you go to eBay, you can find cell phones that still have Flappy Bird on them, and they'll sell them for more money because they have the app, because the app is gone. Isn't that crazy? It's a whole society based on that. So you go to the, a lot of parents will think, well, let's go straight to the addictive part, but there's actually a lot of good stuff, too. This is actually one I love sharing. This is a, one of our, I think he was a sophomore when he did this. Um, he actually was doing a Latin project, and he had to do his, um, the standard project was go up and we want you to create the Roman bathhouse on a PowerPoint or a keynote slide and then get in front of the class and talk for two minutes in Latin about this bathhouse. Well, he did this. He created it in Minecraft. And you can actually hear him talking. So he's going in and explaining where it is all in Latin in detail. His screen captured this. And the teacher showed me this and I was just floored. I was like, that's... Amazing. We block Minecraft in the district. How is he doing that? <laughs> we actually open it up now. We have Minecraft EDU now. But um, And I asked this kid, I just saw him like uh, probably, I don't know, must have been about a month ago. He's a senior now. And I said, I can always share you that story about your Minecraft example. What do you think? Do you remember any of that? He goes, I remember everything about that. I learned all of that. I internalized it. And I said, well, what if you had just done the activity, which was a PowerPoint with things? I would have never remembered it. I would have shown up the next day, spent 10 minutes on it, thrown it together, got my A, and moved on with my life. But he actually internalized this because it was something he was passionate about. It's a way to use gaming in a positive way. Uh, this is also a good one. This is from Pixel Learning, which is a great, there's a great infographic. There's a couple of them out there. This is one of my favorites. So it just talks about all the ways that the brain is actually engaged in gaming. So again, if you are one of the people that has to talk to community or talks to your parents, if you're a teacher that talks to parents about this, it's always good to bring up there's always good and bad to everything. But there's also good with gaming. So there's, you know process of elimination, flow theory, laws of learning. Some of those kids will play, like my nephew in set, when he was seven was playing Minecraft, um, and he was trying to get his little cart to jump this little thing over a bridge or something, and I sat there and watched him try this for 150 different times. He changed the angle, he made sure, checking physics, checking everything, making sure it worked just right. And when he nailed it, he was so excited, but that's just perseverance. Like, How much of that are we actually doing in classes? So I actually you know, bring up that point to parents a lot of times. This is a, I love this. This was last uh, last semester. I went and went and visited our kindergarten class. This is hour of code, which we've now turned into a month of code, um, and now it's going to be pretty much year-round coding. Um, but these are kindergartners coding in one of our labs with their iPads, um, using I think Daisy the dinosaur was the app they were using. And I just love the react. I'll play it here in a second. There's a little team of girls doing this, and I love their reaction. Let me see. <laughs> So this is like, we had um, 
two kindergarten classes come together with two teachers, and I went in there and helped them a little bit too. And there's just so much out there that they can do. Again, going back to that, that comment I made earlier about if they can play the game, if they can create it. I mean, this is just amazing the amount of stuff that's out there. I think Adam shared. I didn't get the Super Mario one. I wish I would figure out what app, what app that was. That looked really cool. I love the one where you can draw too, the pixel one, and actually create their own. So just that process thinking for kids. I almost think that in some ways, I mean, their brains are very pliable at this age. It's almost like a foreign language. And we've started to treat it more like a foreign language in our schools. So coding can be somewhat of a foreign language. Because if you have that skill, when you go off to college, it's going to be a powerful thing. In fact, some of our kids may skip right, out, right through college and design their own app. Um, these skills here, Tracy Clark's a good friend of mine, and she she did it. She made this chart about a year and a half ago, and it was based on interviewing Fortune 500 CEOs on what skills they wanted the most out of their employees. And I look at this chart, and I think about gaming, and I think about how much stuff has to happen when you're playing a game. You have to have good time management. You have to be pretty organized. Those team ones, you actually have to be really collaborative. Like I've seen people play these, like the Call of Duty or the Destiny ones, where they have to design these attacks and spend hours kind of designing it. Critical thinking. There's actually some empathy built into some of the gaming too. Resilience, perseverance. My nephew trying 150 times to get that cart to jump. I mean, these are just some great skills that can come about because of gaming. These are also great skills that we should be trying in our classroom, not just with gaming, but in general. And I share this with my school board whenever we talk about our iPad initiative. You know, they go, well, what's the test score look like? And I'm like, well, if that's all you care about, I mean, I can show you that. But it should be this, too, because this is the stuff that our kids aren't getting when they leave our schools. They're missing all of this. So how do we embed this more in our schools? And there's these four Cs you guys maybe have heard of, the creativity, communication, critical thinking, collaboration, but all good examples there. Um, so I also hear about the screen time argument. So we're running, how much, how's my time? Is it actually correct on the screen up there? Oh, man, I'm way behind. If it says 11.19 there, I should be almost done. Moderation and balance are the key. Um, this was screen time in the 50s. It was true. You could actually go blind with looking at that close to the television because in the early 1950s, the television emitted a little bit of radiation. So if you stood that close, something about the cathode ray tubes or something, you would actually go blind. Now you wouldn't go blind. You would actually strain your eyes a little bit, but you wouldn't go blind from it. Um, when I talk to parents about this, I, we, we have this discussion now. because like, well, all the homework's digital, so how do we cut back on screen time? I said, well, it's actually, the AAP has actually come out with their research. Research is more about the entertainment-based screen time that's the problem. So if you can cut into that as an instructional creative screen time, it's not a bad thing. But I also say, think about when you're sleeping. If the first thing you do right before you go to bed is stare at a really bright screen, parents, kids, anything, you're actually hurting your sleep cycle. Your circadian rhythm, it thinks that it's the sun coming up. And since we've been created thousands or however many, depends on your religion, how many years ago we were created, we've always had this internal instinct of wanting to wake up when we see sunlight. Um, and so if the first thing you do right before you go to bed, or the last thing you do before you go to bed is go on a screen or turn on your bathroom lights really bright and brush your teeth, that's actually not really good for your brain because it's causing your brain not to be able to slow down to get ready to sleep. So kind of dimming lights is an important thing. I tell parents 30 minutes is about the average. You want to start cutting that back. This is actually from a great TED Talk by Russell For uh, Forster. And he talks about, in his TED Talk, how much sleep we're getting now versus what we used to get in the 50s. The average adult, eight hours, now we're about six and a half. How many of you in this room can wake up without an alarm clock? Yeah? What's your secret? Um, the light comes in. Oh, you, use, you let the light wake you up. There's a lot. So about half of you raise your hand. That's good. No? Yeah? What's your secret? I'm a child, so I don't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Yeah, those are sleeping. Like sleeping yeah. is really one of them wedged up right here. I'm on it. It's a king size bed, but I've only got Yeah, so I don't, I don't sleep at all either. I'm probably down here in the five, and some days even less than that, right? You just survive. But it's interesting because, you know, look at how much teenagers need. Nine hours. Remember when we were teenagers, you want to sleep until one o'clock in the afternoon. That's why, that's why on the weekends kids are just crashing because they need all the sleep to recover. Their brains are still growing. So I tell parents, if you're going to have them do, if they're doing homework and they need to go to bed at nine o'clock, you should backtrack and say, okay, by 8.30 you should be close to done with your homework. Try to work that in and then make sure there's time for dinner and all that. Because um, a lot of times parents go, just do it whenever you can do it. And I tell, some parents have told me they've cut it off and said, okay, you're done. Now you've got to get up in the morning and start over or finish the rest of it just because they don't want to hurt their sleep pattern. And there's, this is not me, but my wife and I would read ebooks sometimes before we go to bed and then staring at the screen. Luckily, you can dim them a little bit now. Um, but still, it's not really great for our sleep cycle. Um, the inverting is true, yeah. Now, this is, that's true because a lot of this, the accessibility features let you kind of dim it or invert it to black on white text. Um, Daphne Bavillier, I can never get that name right, is another great one to talk about TED Talks. This is a combination of um, brain research, video games, and also screen time. And she came up in her TED Talk, she talks about how, 
you know, you have the regular eye chart where people can see things. If they're a regular, if you're a regular person who doesn't play games a lot, non-gamer vision, you're 2020. What do you think a gamer's vision is? Not not like an abusive gamer, but someone who games a couple, maybe an hour or two a day. Where do you think their vision lies on this chart? <laughs> better or worse? It's actually better. They can actually read better on the chart. Now, we're not talking someone who does it like 15 hours a day, but if you play games like one or two hours a day, it actually, your brain, you're actually massaging the muscles in your eyes to be able to see. You're, you're shifting like that, right? You have to be able to see things. And in fact, um, they also can... They can read smaller text without magnification. It's like pulling out this medicine bottle. Their, their close vision is actually a lot better. And then when it comes to differentiation of grades, they can actually see better. Because if you've ever played some of these or seen these games played, especially like the war games and things like that, there's a lot of this where it's like gray and you have to kind of see an object over here. So when it comes to actually like driving in fog, they can see that what that is right there. They can see that object there. They can tell that that's a blue and white striped dress, not a gold and black striped dress, right? <laughs> Remember that weird trend for like a week? That was odd. So they can see all the Fifty Shades of Grey. It's really easy. Ah, there we go. Some Jews over there. So what will the future look like? Well, it's going to be different. We know that. Um, this is actually... I love these series of drawings. I went back and found... I love looking back in history and seeing things that are now open to the public. This is from... These are French artists designing what they thought the future would look like in the year 2000. This is one... Per, this is 18, 1899. Someone designed this magical robot that would come out and sweep and vacuum your floor. It exists! <laughs> And then I love this one. This is like a mobile uh, restaurant that goes around. Think about food trailers. But actually in Austin, we have this thing. It's called a pub crawler. Have you seen these? Yeah, yeah, the people actually bicycle while they're getting served, uh, let's say, soda. Um, And it's legal because it's not a motorized vehicle. Think about that. It's kind of scary, too. So this is what they thought school would look like in the year 2000, and I would almost say that in some ways they're accurate. Um, class size, not so much. Seven to one I love, but we're not going to have that. Um, but this idea that you're just going to take this content, turn it into a PDF, and then consume it on your device, you know, that in a lot of ways that is happening sometimes. And I've told people, and Adam said it today too, is like if you're just going to use devices for textbooks, it's a waste of money. You might as well get something else. Um, if you're just doing that, then don't even bother trying so it's interesting, their, their prediction of what the future would look like is actually somewhat accurate. Go back and look, by the way, there's some really odd stuff. If you just search 1899 French artists, you'll see this whole strip about all the things that they designed, and there's some weird flying things that, they, that are not accurate. Um, so where can we go for good parenting advice? I'll give you these last couple resources. Uh, this is a great blogger. In fact, she was interviewed right here on this Today Now show. I'll let you listen to a little bit of her clip and see what you think. Now, Rebecca runs a popular parenting blog called Mom Magic. That's right. It's about the everyday parenting choices that can make a big difference on our children. Rebecca, I read the blog a lot. My first question is, who the hell do you think you are telling me how to raise my kids? (laughs) You know, I have a degree in early childhood education, but my greatest education has been raising three beautiful kids of my own. (laughs) Okay, well, let's just jump right in and get this over with. I can say you have some great advice for how to get kids to do their chores. I do. For every chore your child does, reward them with 10 extra minutes of TV time. I found it really gets them excited about helping uh, out. That's great advice from someone who's never met my kids. Or mine. <laughs> and Rebecca, just by looking at your smug face, I can tell you have some more advice for our viewers who I'm sure couldn't erase their kids if you had a name to talk to us today. <laughs> that's right, Tracy. One of the greatest frustrations that parents have is noisiness. Well, if your kids are the loud and rambunctious type, I suggest setting up quiet zones throughout the house where your children know to keep it down. A billionaire with giant houses full of rooms to set aside, better listen up. Now, and, and I find this incredible, Rebecca. While most parents would mind their own business, you decide to write a whole book telling people how to run their lives. Well, I'm just really connected. Gets, the next scene I literally can't show you because it gets really kind of off the rails, but uh, yeah. But it's funny, because I'll come home, and I, I'm, my wife, will, she reads a lot of like the monastery blogs and things like that, and she'll come home and say, did you read about this? And this is like this new trend. Parents in our district do the same thing. Like I saw in 2020, two years ago, that the flipped classroom is the worst thing you could ever do to kids. And so I've got a bunch of parents that are against any flipping of classrooms, because they watched that one thing, about one thing, and they took it their own one way and ran with it. And so I always tell parents, consider the source, and then look at other sources. Same with teachers, too, right? And same with our kids. Just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's real or true, right? Um, 
This is like, I, I equated this with all of my parents. And you, we've given your kids this tool, and you have the tool too, but you don't really know how to use it. It can be kind of dangerous. Have you seen this? You're like giving this news anchor an axe, and you just got to hit this target. Um, <laughs> what do you think is going to happen? Can he hit somebody? So he, yeah, he hits the guy in the arm. I mean, but, and then the guy like walks off. And these guys keep drumming, I love it. But, uh, and uh, comments aside, I think it's funny that it was on Fox and Friends. But, um, yeah, I was just kidding. But this, in a lot of ways, parents feel this way about, you know, you give, we have these tools and we have no idea what to do and they're so dangerous. And we're just. Oh. Luckily, it was not the sharp. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I tell parents, like, you know, there's places to go. I think that we all, as a community, kind of need to raise our kids. Just like back way before time when we were tribes, we need to be the village when it comes to raising our own kids. Now, devices have given us lots of opportunities to connect. And those can be good opportunities, too, if we use them the right way. Um, I've started a few series, and these are some ideas if you want to take back to your districts, the things that I'm trying to do. Um, one of the first things I did is I started a panel, a digital parent learning series. <clears throat> Rather than me be the one up there talking, I was just moderating I grabbed parents in the community, like really well-known parents, well-respected parents. This guy was a professor at the University of Texas. Um, she was an eighth grade teacher, but also a middle school mom. This is a, this is a blogging mom who actually is a, has elementary kids in our district. She came up there and said, the first thing you do when your kids are born is you need to buy their URL. Like, she told every parent, go do that. And some of the parents are like, oh, she's crazy. And then lately, some of the parents are like, no, she was right. I should have bought my kids, you know, domain name right back then. This guy was actually, um, he was anti-technology. I put him up there on purpose. You need to have skeptics in the room, too. Um, and he actually worked for the former president of the United States, George W. Bush, as his advisor for NCLB. So his whole thing was media were the metrics. Or test scores make any difference. That's all he cared about. He cared less about devices. But it was interesting because I invited him up on the panel because I wanted to hear his point of view, too. Um, so having people come up and actually be a part of that conversation, it shows that the room itself is actually smarter than the one person, right? The David Weinberger quote, smartest person in the room is the room. And so parents can turn and talk to each other. Um, we actually do a lot of line, we'll do a lot of workshops with our own parents. This is actually me doing a workshop. I'm nowhere in this photo, I'm the one taking the photo. They're talking to each other, they're debating points. I'll have them stand up and have arguments and discourse, but also discussing what's going right and what's going wrong in their households. Um, and then I started this course here. This is an iTunes U course. This is my, um, I've done it three years now, I'm going into my third year of it. I did an iTunes U on purpose, and I know that means that some devices can't take it, but remember in our district, every kid has an iPad. So I want every parent to take their iPhone or iPad and actually model this when they get home. And then some parents are like, well, I don't have an iPad. I like, take your child's iPad and take the course. And it's an online course. It's free. In fact, that link right there will take you to where you can download it. Um, I'm going to do the next one in the spring, and you guys can take it with me, or you can just download all the resources. But it's, it's great because we have these great discussions. Um, and we talk about things like digital wellness and screen time and digital footprints. And what does that look like? And some of these are phrases and things that our parents have never even heard of. Like we in this room have probably heard the phrase digital footprint or you're building your brand. But our parents haven't thought about that stuff, so it gives us an opportunity to have those conversations. Um, oh, I don't have time for the Kahoot, do I? No, we're out of time. Right. But I do want to have, I have two minutes, so I'll give you guys a chance. Do you, have, do you guys want to play the Kahoot, or do you want to, you want to try it? Let's try it. Okay, it's, it's a six-minute, six-question game. Yeah. Oh, is it saying it's blocked? Yeah. It's blocked by the network? No, it's blocked by me. Okay, I'll have to go back and change it. I'll go and change it. You know what? I just realized. Can you hold it up and let me see, Mr. Hook.it slash 101. Oh, you know what? The internet's not going to work probably really well for us to do a Kahoot too. That's all right. Do you guys have questions though? Things you're wrestling with, we have two minutes, so I'll go a little bit of What have your biggest lessons learned in doing the parenting sessions? So the sessions with parents, like you're describing the panels, the, all this stuff. Yeah, and I showed this with Wes when he walked in. We're doing, we've now revamped the series now where we're doing focus groups with parents where I'm actually a little more private. We're taking eight or nine parents and inviting them into a room and saying, tell me everything. And I'll record it with my, I won't record it with the audio while I actually just take notes. Um, and I'm also doing surveys with parents regularly. We're going to do this once a semester. I think the biggest aha is every conversation lately has shifted away from the device. It's been interesting. They come in, they come in angry about the device and like yell at it and scream at it and why aren't the teachers using it this way? Da, da, da. And it's shifted back to pedagogy and curriculum. And like, well, this textbook wouldn't download right. Da, 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 da. Like, are you blaming the device or is it the company? Because McGraw Hill made a pretty crappy textbook and it didn't download on her device as well. Or Pearson did, you know, and it's like it's you can blame the device or you can blame the textbook. So it comes back to the content and actual pedagogy. I've been, I think that's been pretty surprising to me. Um, 
It starts out, though, very much. They see that thing as a dangerous disruptor to their house. They even said, you put this, in, this disruption in our house. What are we going to do about it? And I said, it's funny because you know the most disruptive thing in our schools? It's not our devices. It's the kids' devices that are the most disruptive. And every kid in our school pretty much has one of these. Mm. I mean, in the upper grades, we can't do anything about this. We can't control it. We can't block it. We can't filter it. We can't do any of that. And so mm. having that discussion with parents has been interesting. And then the other yeah. one was when we got done with one of those parent nights, um, there was about 12 parents that circled me, and they just started yelling at me. They grade, ninth grade parents. They were screaming at me and stuff. And I saw my superintendent, and I was like, and she just waved at me. You got this. I'll see you later. You know, so she walked off. And I started, I was, I was going to get stressed out. I said, you know, I'm just, I just started smiling. And then one mom was like, why are you smiling? We're angry at this. And I said, you're talking about your eighth and ninth grader now. We're having discussions now about what they're doing online, what they're doing with their digital profiles, what they're doing with their digital lives now when they're 14. If we're not having this conversation now, would we ever have it? And then your kid turns 18 and leaves, and guess what? They get into all sorts of trouble. So yes, it's disruptive. Yes, it's uncomfortable. At least we're having a conversation. And usually they still get mad, like, okay, that's great. But it's just uncomfortable for them. I will tell you one more fun story. This is, a, this is only a website kind of story. It may happen here. I don't know. But there's a parent who stood up and said, well, I need it. I'm suing Facebook. And I said, why are you suing Facebook? She said, well, my daughter, you know, I did all the things she told me. I friended her on Facebook, and I had a... We share iCloud accounts, but she went into my phone and un- unconnected my iCloud account from her account, and then she unfriended me on Facebook. And I said, "Oh my, yeah." So what are you doing? She said, "Well, that's why I'm suing Facebook." Said, why are you suing Facebook? Said, to force them for her to friend me. So she's paying thousands of dollars to sue Facebook to force friend her daughter to her. I said, "You know, you could just turn to your daughter and tell her friend me, or you're not going to use this." Oh, no, I don't want her to. I don't want her to. So that's a real story. That's a real, I mean, one of these days I'm going to write a book, I'll find it fired right after I publish it, but I have a book of literally probably a hundred different parenting stories, and some of them are, that's probably one of my top ten. The number one one I can't do on recording because it's yeah. actually inappropriate. But, um, actually, there's two that I can tell you after some cocktail. Sure. <laughs> Any other questions? All right, you guys are doing great. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're listening to Fuel for Educational Change Agents, an audio podcast channel including a variety of audio recordings by and recorded by Wesley Fryer, published for educators worldwide interested in free audio-based professional development. This is a supplementary podcast channel complementing Moving at the Speed of Creativity podcast, which typically includes longer and lightly edited or unedited audio recordings. Learn more and access these podcasts on audio.speedofcreativity.org. All content on this podcast is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 United States License.